as we, as we continue in our series uh, talking about um, parenting. Okay, we, we've, we've said this before, we've, we've, the, na- the title of the series is The Struggle is Real. We know this isn't simple stuff, this is complicated. Okay, um, parenting, is, man, <laughs> parenting is complicated, it's difficult, um, there is hard work to be done, but here's what we know. We know that God hasn't left us without instruction. We know that God hasn't left us on our own in this process. Okay, and so I, I want to encourage you that uh, while we recognize that the struggle is real, that God has told us what we need to know. Now, here's the deal. There, there's not, though, a handbook. I, okay, I mean, we've got the Bible. So I, I okay, don't, don't, nobody get up and storm out right now. You're like, he said, no. Yes, word of God, authentic, accurate, everything is true. We believe it, yes, okay, fine. Now, separately, there's not a handbook for this stuff, Okay. When, when we start thinking about when do we talk to our kids about certain things, what do we tell them about certain things, how do we encourage them in certain ways, there's not a script that we can follow that's going to make it simple, but there is wisdom that God gives us that will help. And we're going to navigate some of that today. This is a little bit, today will be a little bit more practical, um, perhaps, than we've been as we've worked through this series, um, but we're going to just look at practical wisdom that God gives, Okay. Um, for having these tough conversations with our kids, for dealing with these tough issues, for navigating these hard things in life, right? And the Bible has a lot to say, and on top of that, we have wisdom that we can use, okay? Now, there's something we need to know first, the big idea that I need you to drill down on, it's simply this. The world wants your kids. The world wants my kids. It wants to have them. It wants to influence over them. It wants to mess with them. It wants to direct their steps. It wants to own them. Here's the deal. Eventually, the world wants to devour our kids. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it so bluntly and so scarily, but that's what the world wants. The world wants your kids. And we know that. That's true, right? Because the world is a system Okay, that, that's, when we talk about the world, we're not talking about the planet Earth, right? We're not, we're not talking about um, this, this place that we stand and that we live. What we're talking about is the system, the culture. The culture wants to have your kids. You ever notice how in nature, God has, has, um, God has established a food chain, right? You know, the... the some bugs eat other bugs, okay? Birds then eat some of those bugs and other things. I, I, mean, I failed science. I mean, I studied really hard and I did well. But, you know, there's a food chain. Well, listen, there's a cultural food chain here too, guys. This is something that we have to understand is, is that there are people out there that are ready to eat our young. They just are, okay? And in the world we live in, our kids will need to be taught how to navigate that. They're going to need to be taught how to navigate this idea that there are people out there that will seek to devour them. We have to equip them to be in the world, but not of the world. See, that's what Scripture tells us. Jesus tells us, look, that, that we're called to be in the world. We live here, right? This isn't our home. We've talked about that before. Go back to our political series. We're ambassadors. We're stationed here. This isn't where we live. It's where we work, right? This is where our ministry is. But we're called to be here, to be in this world, but not to be of it. And that's something that takes intentional discipline for us to teach and train our kids in that. And that's what we have to understand in in all of this, is that it's not simple, but it's critical, okay, if we aren't going to be of the world. Okay, look at Proverbs 22, 6. Here's what it says. It says, direct your children under the right path, and when they're older, they'll never leave it. Okay, now Proverbs is a book of wisdom. So that's a true statement. It's a wise statement. It's not a promise. Okay, I want to be clear about that. It's not a promise. 
it's a wise statement. I, and, and I have to clarify because some of you here are thinking, okay, Hans, um, you know, I got issues with you when you say that because I've raised my kids in the way they should go. I've directed them onto the right path and they're older and they've left it. What we would call those kids are prodigals. Okay? And if you're dealing with that, I want to give you some encouragement. We're actually going to deal with prodigals next Sunday. Okay? So we'll be talking about prodigals. Okay? And our heart is for that. We'll be praying for that. But, but this is wisdom. Okay? That if you direct your children onto the path they should go, that when they're older, they won't leave it. They'll know what's right. They'll know. They'll gravitate towards it. Maybe they'll have their moments. Maybe they'll have some wanderings. Maybe they'll step off the path. But ultimately, they'll return to it. So this is the hope that we have to say, look, we've got to do this well now. And if you're here with little kids, then you, you've got to drill down here. And if you're here without little kids, your kids are older, it's not too late. And if you're here and your kids are out of the house, there is still hope for that too. And if you are a grandparent or if you're important in the life of a kid or you're a part of this church community, you're part of this family, then this should weigh heavily on you because this is critical for us. This is important for us. These are things we have to navigate together as a church family. Okay, so we're going to get into this a little bit and see how this goes, but um, I want to remind you one thing, okay? And this is something that I've heard. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and then, and then I've had this discussion with some folks since then that are curious why this can't be, and so I want to just remind you of this one thing. Listen to me. There is no neutral. When it comes to raising your kids, see, some of you, you what you naturally want to know, and, and I, I, I get it, I, I I understand, I think, why some of you might feel this way or why the culture might feel this way. And, and what you generally don't want is what you had happen to you. Some of you grew up in a home that was church, 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 church all the time. And maybe it was hypocritical. Maybe it was real. I don't know. Okay, but some of you grew up in that family and, and, and you feel like it was shoved down your throat. It was pushed in your face. You had no choice of the matter. Didn't make sense. It didn't belong to you. It wasn't your faith, but it was shoved at you. And so here you are thinking to yourselves, I am not going to do that to my kids. I'm not going to make them have it the same way that I had it. And so, so what you're, and because you know how hard it was for you then. You know how hard it was for you then as you became your own adult to come to your own real faith. You, some of us have had that conversation, how when you became an adult, you walked away from the church because you thought, there's nothing there I need. It was shoved at me, I saw it, I lived it, I didn't want it, and now that I'm free, I'm free. And you know how hard it's been for you to come back to a place where you've submitted to God, to a place where you've said, yes, I need Jesus, I need the salvation he brings, and I submit to him, and you don't want to do that to your kids, and I get it. But think of it, this world wants to devour your children, and this world is not gracious. This world will not allow you to push pause until your children have come to a place where they've decided that they want it. See, some of you, that's what you think. You think, well, we'll just push pause on the whole thing. And when our kids get to a place where they say, you know what, I'm interested in that, that's when we'll come in with the instruction and the training and the discipleship. The problem is if you've put them on pause, you're paused, but the world is still discipling your kids. It's still training your kids up. It's still teaching your kids everything it wants them to know. And in the absence of hearing your voice, they're going to gravitate here. I get why you do it. I know your intention is good. It's a tragic mistake. And I want to caution you that discipleship takes um, intention. And as a parent, grandparents, you can't wait on this. Okay? We need to do this the way that Jesus did. Jesus trains up his disciples, and here's a conversation he has with them right before he sends them out. Now, he's going to send them out into the culture, okay? uh, unprotected. Okay? This is one of those moments where he's about to send them out without him. First time, he says, okay, you know what, guys? Now, I'm not gonna, you know, you've been following me around. Now, I'm going to send you. 
This is like practicum here. This is their internship. I'm sending you out. You're going to come back. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk. That's what I did when I got my degree in counseling, right? I'd go do counseling, and I'd come back, and I'd sit down with the professor who would tell me how I just messed those people up. I'm not sure why they do it that way. It is really unfair. They must have like a secret, like, let's go in and fix everything Hans just did. Like, like okay, you know, Matt, good job. Way to go. Okay, listen, you need to know how to, this really works. Because I'm sure I mess some people up. But that's what you do. You go out, you practice, you come back, and you debrief. Jesus is going to do that with the disciples. He says, okay, look, I'm going to send you out. Doesn't send them alone. Sends them two by two. And, and they're going to go out, and then they're going to come back, and they're going to report. But this is the, one of the last instructions he gives them. He says this, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, because I'm sending you out like sheep, sheep among wolves, see, I need you to pick up on this, what this is really saying. Saying, I'm sending you out as innocent people, as good, I mean, we would say to our kids, as good Christian kids, I'm sending you out as innocent people, not innocent because we've never done wrong, come on, we're smarter than that, but innocent because we're trying to live a godly life, innocent because we're trying to live above the sin of the world, innocent because we're trying to be holy. So I'm sending you out like sheep, innocent sheep among wolves. Now, here's the thing. I've never raised sheep. Some of you probably have. I don't think there's wolves around here, are there? There's not wolves around here. Coyotes. Okay. Well, if you lived there, this wolf thing would make more sense, right? But it doesn't, it's not hard for us to imagine what a wolf would like to do to the sheep. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, which is code for they are going to try to eat you. They are going to try to have their way with you. They are going to try to devour you. And so Jesus says, so here's what you need. I'm going to send you out there like sheep among wolves. So here's my instruction for you. That's why we key in here to what happens in the second half of this verse. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It's one of those oft-overlooked texts of Scripture. We understand the sheep and the wolf, the sheep and the wolf part a little bit, but this shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves kind of gets lost in the mix there a little bit. So let's, we're going to deal with that a little bit. And, and, and I need you to know uh, that word for shrewd is actually uh, phronimos, okay? Um, it's fancy. It's Greek, okay? Phronimos, you know what it really means? It means wise. It means wisdom, okay? So this is what it's really telling you. It's saying, okay, so I'm going to send you out there like sheep among wolves, they're going to want you, they're going to want to own you, they're going to want to have you, they're going to want to influence you, they're going to want to twist you, and eventually they're going to want to devour you. So Jesus tells them this, be wise, and at the same time you're being wise, be innocent. That's the call. So there's, there's a couple, couple things we learn here. First things first, wolves are real. Okay? And the other thing is this, Jesus doesn't say, so, well, there's a lot of things Jesus doesn't say here, but some of you, if you're like me, I spend more time being mad at wolves for acting like wolves than I do preparing my children to be wise and innocent. I mean, I'll just confess that to you now, okay? Sometimes what I will do is I will sit and I will read my Bible and I will get so angry. And, and I will, uh, my kids will come home and they'll tell me about something that happened or something that somebody said and I'll be so angry. And what am I angry at? I'm angry at people for acting like who they are. I'm angry at wolves for acting like wolves. What did I expect them to act like? I would much rather they acted like wolves than they pretended to be sheep. Wouldn't I? I mean, we read about that a couple weeks ago, that this is going to be an even bigger problem. Look, I mean, this is a problem. We're sending our kids out there, and, and the world system wants to own them. It wants to devour them. I mean, it will teach them all kinds of things, right? It will teach them that if, if they say that something is wrong, teach them that they're an idiot. What, you believe that, that God created the world? Moron. How could you believe that? 
You believe that homosexuality is sinful? <laughs> Bigot. You believe that somebody is going to go to hell because they think differently than you think? Arrogant. Right, the world system is going to make our kids, they've made us feel this way sometimes, haven't they? They're going to make our kids feel like they're dumb because they don't believe what the world teaches. See, the world's job, the, 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 the sinful nature that we live in, this broken thing, wants to normalize sin so that when our kids stand against sin and say, no, 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 wait, time out, that's not right, it's so normal that our kids have to feel stupid or weird because they say, hey, I, I don't believe that. But you know what's even worse than that? What's even worse than wolves acting like wolves? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's, it's wolves that act like sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing. The people that sound religious. The people that say religious things that have just a hint of the truth enough to make us say yes that sounds right and it's it's sprinkled with true sounding things right but the message is not see and this is the problem with the world system it's going to directly pour messages that are in direct competition to the christian story into our kids And so we say, well, God must have this wrong. What he means is, because there are wolves, I will take my sheep out of. That's not what he says. He says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be ready. Be ready by being wise and be ready by being innocent. And you know what? Here's the deal. You can't be one without the other. Okay, when you're wise, when you're wise without innocence, Here's what you get. You get someone that's self-sufficient. Okay? Any of you that have worked with kids to a great degree or some of you have coworkers or people that would fit this bill, you would say, well, these people, they're very wise, but they're not innocent at all. At best, they're self-sufficient. At worst, they're manipulative and dishonest and controlling. Think Eddie Haskell. Okay? Eddie Haskell would be the best version of someone who is wise but not honest. Okay, for, seriously? I hate that I've gotten this old. Leave it to Beaver. Eddie Haskell was Wally's friend on Leave it to Beaver. Some of you were like, yeah, and some of you were like, leave it to Beaver. YouTube it, it'll be fine. But Eddie Haskell, was, Eddie Haskell was the friend, right? And, and, and he was wise. He, he was manipulative. He was dishonest. He was sneaky, right? And it worked for him. You know what? The combination of wise without innocent will never help your kids come to know Jesus. Wise without innocence won't help your kids come to know Jesus because they'll figure out how the game of the world works. And you know what? They'll win at it. I mean, I, I, let's just be as, as bluntly honest as they can. They'll win at the game of the world. They'll figure out how it works. They'll be self-sufficient. They'll be manipulative. They'll be controlling, and they'll win at the world's game. But, but they'll miss the number one goal we have for them. You remember our number one goal for our kids isn't that they be successful in business, it's not that they be popular and well-liked. It's not that people respect them. Our number one goal for our kids simply is this. We need to raise kids. Parents, grandparents, hear me. We need to raise kids that love Jesus more than they love anything else. When we raise kids that love Jesus more than love anything else, then we've nailed it. We've left a legacy that matters beyond anything else. And we can want those other things for our kids, but our number one goal, the thing that drives us has to be. But yet, if our goals are jacked up, now listen, some of you need to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror about this because if your goals are jacked up, if your goals are about things like popularity or success or finance or education or any of those things, you have to be really careful because if that's your goal, if that's your number one goal for your kids, if Jesus is taking a back seat to this other stuff, then you are going to be in danger of shooting this message at them, that wise is the key. 
and they'll figure out how to win, and, and they won't know that they need Jesus. It's dangerous, but it goes the other way too. Innocence without wisdom doesn't work. Innocence without wisdom doesn't work because at best, they're just naive to the way that the world works. They're just naive, right? And at worst, they're victims. They're victimized by the world. Some of you, adults that are here now, you've had to struggle through those two things. Some of you, you grew up and, and, and you, you left the home and you were young adults and you were really wise, but you just weren't innocent. And you know how hard it was to, to be able to overcome that. And some of you, bless you, you were in the other camp. You were innocent, but you didn't have the wisdom to go along with it and you've been taken advantage of. You've been victims. And that combo, when you have that, some of us think, well, at least that's better, right? At least it's better. It's not better. Because that, that combo allows our kids to become angry and bitter, disenfranchised with the church, with their faith, because it hasn't worked for them, right? Because they thought, if I just stay innocent enough, if I just do what I'm supposed to do, then everything will work out for me. And it doesn't work, and they get, they get fed up with the church, they see their faith is not working because it hasn't gotten them what they think it should have gotten them. So we're called to be both. We're called to raise our kids to be wise and innocent and to, to disciple their hearts. And I want to I cover this with you as we get into some more practical things very quickly here. Look, Genesis 4-7 says this. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? This is God talking to um, Cain um, right before he kills his brother way back in, in Genesis, he says, but if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not know what it, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Parents, can I ask you a really serious question? When was the last time you had that conversation with your kids? I'm, I'm not talking about sex, drugs. I'm not, I'm not talking about alcohol or um, some of those other decisions. We've got to deal with those decisions, but what I'm talking about is when's the last time you had this conversation with your kids that sin is literally crouching at your door and it wants to have you. James says it this way. He says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to to death. We've talked about this before. This is Francis Chan would give you the imagery of a, of a pregnancy. There. That the evil desire, it, it's enticing. And, and it leads to this behavior that, oh, it's so good, right? And in my mind, I've built it up into something that's going to be wonderful. And then it comes to fruition. It gestates and it gets to be this thing. And I think it's going to be awesome, right? And then and, and then when it's finally ready and finally going to happen and it finally is what I've been hoping for and longing for and begging for and waiting for and it's, this is the moment and then I give birth to this and it's stillborn. That's what that word means. That it gives birth to death. It's the word for stillborn. When was the last time you had that conversation with your kids? See, I, I, know, it's, I know it sounds good. I know it smells good. I know it tastes good. I know it looks right, feels right, but it's going to give birth to death. We can, we, can, we can try to keep them innocent, but something is going to fall apart. I had some friends, Karen, I have some friends back at Bethany who worked hard to shield their kids from anything worldly. Two kids, and they worked hard to shield those kids from anything worldly, so much so to the point where they wouldn't watch commercials. They could watch some TV shows, usually the Disney movie of the week on Sunday nights. Come on, who remembers? I'm on it. Animated Robin Hood, it's good stuff. But when the commercials were on, Mm -mm. change the channel, turn the TV off. We'll turn it on again in a few minutes. Probably we've missed some show, but it's okay because we didn't expose our kids to any of that stuff. 
I'd love to tell you that it paid off big. I'd love to tell you that those kids are walking with the Lord today. But it doesn't work. We can't shield our kids from everything. We have to train them up, we have to tell them the truth, and we have to give it to them the way that it is. Let's look a little practical here. So some of you have asked me, and and this is a question some of you have, it's, okay, so what do we tell our kids about God? We don't want to shove it down their throat, so what are we supposed to do? How do we do it? Well, okay, here's the text that we'll we'll look at. We've we've read this, I don't know how many times in here. Let's do it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, These commandments that I've given you today are to be on your hearts. This is talking to adults. So, hey, put them on your hearts now that they are in you, now that you own them. Here is your job with your kids. Notice anywhere in there, okay, God is not instructing the people. Make sure you wait till they get old enough so that you can ask them if they want to know this. Right? He's not suggesting to the people, it would be a good idea if you would just hang tight. Wait till they get to an age of maturity where you can say, okay, now let's talk about God. No, here's what he says. He says, impress them on your children. Impress. Push on to them. Into them. Push into your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, lie down, get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Basically, what God is telling us to do there when it comes to telling our kids about God is it is your job to immerse your children in a worldview that acknowledges and responds and submits to God. So, some practical things. Start young. Get this. Spiritual growth is not a one-time topic. It's a lifetime conversation. Not one conversation, but many. Okay? Share what you know. Some of you know a lot. Some of you don't know so much. Share what you know. What do you know about God? What have you learned about God? What do you think is true about God? Right? Learn what you, it should say don't know. Learn what you don't know so that you can share more, that you can show more in your life, that you can push more into them. Okay? You, first and foremost, need to be a disciple so that you can be a discipler. Pray. Do devotions. Be excited about worship. Hey, listen, show up on Sunday morning. And show up on Sunday morning, not begrudgingly, but show up on Sunday morning because it's exciting. To, I, I love Sunday mornings. And you're like, well, of course you do, Matt. It's your job. No, 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 no. I mean, I always have loved Sunday mornings. There's something right about coming to worship. We were on vacation for our anniversary. Guess what we did on Sunday morning? We got up and we went to church on Sunday morning. Not because anybody was expecting us. Not because it was the right thing to do, but because we love to go to church. It's good. Show your kids that. Pray with them. Pray for them. Hey, we've been talking about getting ready for this Praying With Your Kids project, okay? Next week, we'll have all that information ready, so here's what I need you to do today if you're interested in being a part of that project. There's two poster papers out there by the front door. One says, pray for our family, and the other says, I will pray for your family. I need you to sign up on either of those posters that's appropriate for you, one or both. If you are willing to be prayed for, put your name down there. If you are willing to be praying for other families, put your name on that. We're going to make some connections and we're going to get you hooked up so that we have families praying for one another in the church because this is a big deal. Allow them to ask questions and explore the gospel. Serve with them. Do things with them that matter. Lead by example. Death and tragedy. What do we tell our kids about death and tragedy? Here's the text I need you to know. Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says this. Just as people are destined to die once. Listen to me. Have you had the conversation with your kids, the age-appropriate conversation with your kids? That they're going to die. That you're going to die. That their grandparents that they love are going to die. I mean, it sounds so harsh. But have you done that? Age-appropriate conversation? You should. Some of you are like, well, I'll wait till we have to experience it. Well, that's a pretty rough time to come in and say, oh yeah, I knew this was coming, but I didn't want to tell you. I mean, have you had this conversation? 
And, and this is why it's so critical. Teach your kids this, because just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those that are waiting for him. Drill down on that first part. You are destined to die, and then after you die, you are destined to judgment. Be prepared for judgment. It is a one-question interview. What, what did you do with my son? It's not complicated. But if we aren't teaching our kids this, then we are doing them a terrible disservice. Look at this. Be honest. Don't sugarcoat the world. This world is hard, and there are wolves that want to devour your children. Don't sugarcoat it. Right? Allow them to have confusion. Allow them to be angry when something happens in the world that they don't understand. Work through that with them. You don't have to shut that down. You have to allow that. You have to grow with them. Allow conflicting emotions. And, and they don't have to feel the way you feel. You don't have to force it. Remember sitting down with my kids when, um, when uh, Grandpa Hanson, the first of my grandparents to die. I had all four of my grandparents until I was, what, 35? And then now I'm 40 and I have none of them. Three of them went in the span of about 14 months. Um, and, and that was hard, but you know what? It was a blessing to have them for so long. But, but it was hard to lose them all in, in such short order. But I remember when my grandpa Hans died, um, I was devastated. My kids, I mean, they were sad, but they weren't devastated. Because they didn't know him like I knew him. And, you know, at the time, you know, Travis was, was what, nine. And for the last decade, 15 years of his life, Grandpa wasn't Grandpa. And so he didn't have the same frame of reference that I had, and it wasn't as hard for him, right? But your kids don't have to feel the way you do, but you, you have to work through the process. You have to pray with them and remember that, that this is something that we grow into. And then you have to teach them about what it means to be a distributor of grace in a world that's broken. Yes, there's death. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's tragedy. Oh, by the way, it's because of this thing called sin that lives in our hearts. Remember, we talked about that, that, that sin, it looks good, it feels good, it tastes good, but, but it leads to something awful. These are conversations you have to have with your kids. Self-image. Oh, I hate this one. Any of you got girls at home, you hate this one too, or you will, I promise. Any of you that are married, you hate this for your wives. I mean, it, this is, I guess it's hard for all of us, but this is terrible for women, right? But here's what God says about self-image. It says, for you were created, uh, my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them had come to be. How precious are your thoughts about me? How vast is the sum of them? And the text continues. Teach your kids that about their self-image. Oh, body image. Sex appeal. It's disgusting. It's disgusting that our kids have to worry about whether or not they're too fat. It's disgusting that our kids have to worry about whether or not they're sexy enough to attract boys that they go to school with. You teach them better than that. Because if you aren't directly telling them better than that, the world is communicating to them something different that it's evil. Teach them better than that. Teach them this. Oh, well, yeah, let's do this real quick. That, that there are four messages. I want, I want to just, there are four messages that are going out to our kids, okay, um, from all over the place. This is the world we live in. We're doing it to them too, okay? It's one of these four negative messages. Negative messages are the ones that just say, you know what? You're not good enough. You aren't good enough. They get that from culture, they get it from friends, they get it from teachers, and yes, they get it from parents. There's a movie, it's not a great movie, called Spanglish. It's, it's one of those where Adam Sandler tried to be serious. But I remember the scene in the movie vividly, that there is a 13, 14-year-old girl who's overweight. 
And she tries hard to deal with that. She has some very serious body image issues. And her mother goes shopping, and she buys her hundreds of dollars worth of clothes that are all a size too small. Because that'll motivate her. We do this to our kids, too. We do, a lot of this is with the comparison game. And this next one, manipulative messages. These are the messages that say you'll be good enough if. You'll be good enough if. You make the team, your grades are better, you win, you're popular, you have this thing. Advertising is huge on this one, but we do it too, especially when we have multiple kids and we start to play the comparing game. Purposeful messages, though, purposeful messages are the ones we give our kids that say, you know what, you are about something so much bigger than yourself. Christians have the ultimate purpose message. You are about God. You are about glorifying God. You are about bringing people to God. You are about honoring Jesus. And, and gracious messages are the best. This is the unconditional love. These are the countercultural messages that tell our kids, you know what, you are worth it. No matter what, I love you and there is nothing that could happen that would ever make me stop loving you. It's what everybody's heart longs to hear. We have that for our kids, but we, we, we've got to teach them about self-image. We've got to teach them these things, right? Let's just go tell them this. Help them see them how God sees them. Ephesians 2.10. I'm guilty of this. I haven't done this. I need to do this, okay? But my kids need to memorize Ephesians 2.10. I need to teach them Ephesians 2.10. I need to teach them the text that says, you, Travis, you, Riley, you, Aubrey. I need to remind my wife, you, Carrie, you are God's masterpiece. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. You are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You got self, don't, you, you don't, you don't need to worry about your image. You don't need to worry about your, your body image, yourself. You don't need that. You know why? Because you are God's masterpiece. He created you purposefully in Christ Jesus. Be intentional with your words. Help them discover their strengths. Ooze unconditional love. Model a healthy self-image. Listen, uh, moms especially, okay? Dads, you can hear me too, but moms especially. Doesn't matter what you say to your kids about their self-image, about their body image, if you are constantly freaked out about your own. If you are constantly freaked out about your own body image, then what you are communicating to them, no matter what your words say, what you're communicating to them is, daughter, I know that I am not good enough unless. Well, what are they supposed to take from that? There's more sexuality. Do you not know? This is what we need to teach our kids. Oh my goodness, this is awkward and uncomfortable. Teach your kids this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you not know this? Your body is a temple, the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And it's a gift from God. And you are not your own. You don't belong to you. You were bought at a price. That's a good thing. But therefore, honor God with your bodies. And we get to Hebrews. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Have you talked to your kids about what the marriage bed being pure is? About what that entails? About what it covers? It's awkward, but have you done it? I'm willing to bet that many of you haven't. It says, um, God will judge the, alter, the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Have you talked to your kids about what sexual immorality is? Because it's bigger than maybe we think it is. Right? There's a huge disparity between the church's silence and the, the message and the pervasiveness of sex in our culture. When you're silent about sex, I promise you, your kids are being discipled about sex. They're just being discipled from somebody else. Okay, so let's do this quick. Focus on creation. Do your kids know that sex was God's idea? Sex is not a product of the fall. Sex is a good gift from God. You want to drill down on some of that, you're confused about some of that, I'll encourage you to go back, listen to the series we did called One Flesh um, just earlier this year, back in the spring. Okay, but sex is God's idea. Let your kids know it's good, it's right, but in context. Be intentional. Schedule regular times to talk. Teach them how and why God has reserved sex for marriage. What's that about? Not just don't have sex. 
what it's about. Encourage them to ask and enter into ongoing conversations about sexuality. Our teenagers are going to have friends that are going to come to them one day, if they haven't already, and are going to say, you know what, Travis, Riley, Aubrey, I think I'm gay. Are they going to know how to have that conversation? I didn't. Mike Trevor, buddy of mine, knew him in high school, was in my fraternity, freshman year, after the school year was over that summer, he, you know, we, we visited each other, we both lived on campus there, I was close, he was on campus, and called me up, and he wanted to hang out, okay, Mike, let's hang out, and sat down, and he's like, Matt, I need you to know something, I'm gay. Boy, I wish somebody had taught me how to respond to that. I wish somebody had told me how to say, you know what, Mike? I love you unconditionally. I honor you unconditionally. But I need to tell you what I think that God has to say for your life. But nobody taught me, so what I said to Mike is, yeah, that's okay. That's all right. Because nobody trained me up ongoing conversations and encourage them to keep the sexual conversation. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. The conversations about sex between you and them. Trust me when I tell you, you don't want their friends having equal face time with your kids about sex as you do. You don't want the older kids at school or um, other people's parents who think differently or, God forbid, the internet or politicians, or anybody else. You don't want anybody else having the same amount of face time as you have with your kids about this issue. Okay, now we're going to get uncomfortable here for a second, so you okay? All right, so don't shy away from tough issues. Nothing's off the table. Masturbation, oral sex, establishing and respecting boundaries, lust, homosexual tempta uh, homosexuality, temptation, all of it. Nothing is off the table. You must train up your children because if you don't, someone else will and they will not believe what you believe about God. They will not believe what you believe about the body being a temple that honors God and God judging lust and God judging immoral behavior. They won't believe it. This is on you. When do we start young? Younger than you think you should. We adopted Riley. She was 10 when she came to live with us. You know what I thought? plenty of time. I thought to myself, self, you have plenty of time. She's 10. About a month after she came to live with us, she came home and explained some of the things they were learning in health class. <laughs> Turns out I had three weeks. <laughs> Start young. Start young. Okay, we ju just a couple more. Friendship and popularity. Here's this. Walk with the wise and become wise. Teach your kids this. Hey, you know what? Walk with wise kids. Walk with smart people. You'll be wise. You'll be smart. Associate with fools and idiots, and you're going to find yourself in the trouble that fools and idiots find themselves in. John 15, 18, and 19 says this. If the world hates you, remember that it hated, us, hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you don't belong to it. You're not part of the world. I chose you out of the world, so the world's going to hate you. Have you had that conversation with your kids? They need to hear it. Do they know that when you follow Jesus, the world is going to hate you? That you are not going to be popular? Maybe you'll be popular with other Christians, but the world is going to hate you. People that you thought liked you, when they find out your point of view on Christianity and some of the things that flow from it, they are going to despise you. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong, it's that they are wolves and you are a sheep. Have you Set boundaries, expectations, keep an open dialogue, give them uncomfortable feedback. Don't flip out over every little thing, don't overreact. Make home the safest place there is. 
issue warnings, but don't be doom and gloom. Use them sparingly. Carry more weight that way. Help them make the right kinds of friends. Sometimes you may have to sit down with your kid. Carrie and I were having this conversation a, a while ago. You, you might have to just sit down with them and say, you know what? It's just not a good relationship to have. Those aren't good friends to have. You know why? Let's go back to Proverbs. Because when you hang out with foolish people, you make foolish decisions. Right? Teach them that popularity is never the goal. Popularity can't be the goal in a world that's going to hate you because of Jesus. Some of us are so worried about our kids being popular. We're so worried about our kids being popular. I want my kids to be popular. I want them to have friends. I want them to have fun. But we're so worried about our kids being popular that we've forgotten. That flies directly in the face of what Jesus said. Jesus says the world will hate you because you love me. And what we're so worried about our kids being popular. <laughs> Doesn't work. Last one, making wise choices. As a dog returns to its... I, I, <laughs> it's biblical wisdom. It's just a little gross. As a dog returns to its vomit. And some of you have seen that. That's gross. Yeah. Although you know what's cool is if you have two dogs. <laughs> Whatever, we'll fit it. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. We teach our kids, listen to me. You make a mistake, you learn from a mistake, you stop making that mistake. If you keep making that mistake, then you've officially become foolish. Remember we said the word for pro in Proverbs, the word for foolish, isn't foolish like we use it for our kids. It's evil. You keep bucking God. You keep pushing God. You keep fighting against God when you do the same stupid thing over and over. Stop it. You do it once, you learn from it, you're forgiven, you pay the consequence, grace rules the day, and we move on. You keep doing it, and all of a sudden you've become a rebel. Teach them that. Teach them that the Bible is where they get wisdom for living. As Scripture is inspired by God, all Scripture is inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. You can see those. Ask the praise team to come up. Listen. Here's the deal. All of the heart, love, energy, and effort that you pour into parenting, I want you to know what that is. It's it's worship and it's ministry. I need you to realize that. I need you to, to understand that. That when you, when you pour unconditional love and when you train up your children and when you pour everything into them, not making them the center of the family. Okay, I'm not saying that you make your kids the center of your family universe. We talked about that last week. Parents, you are the center of your family universe. It reflects God as the center of your life. Okay, your world doesn't revolve around your kids, but you pour everything into them. You train them up. You teach them. You help them make wise choices. You do all of these things. And when you do that, what you understand is that you are honoring God. Every time you sit down with your kids, when you talk to them, when you pour into them, when you pray with them, when you do scripture with them, when you teach them right and wrong and you encourage everything you pour into your kids, that is ministry. That's worship. You are worshiping God when you do these things. It's a big deal. It's a way we worship together. And listen, it's meaningless if you aren't loving Jesus. It's kind of where we've ended every week in this series. We've got two more weeks to go. Guess what? Spoiler alert. This is where we'll end every week until the series is over. All of this is meaningless if you aren't loving Jesus. You can tell them whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You can, but our kids can smell a hypocrite. If you aren't loving Jesus, none of this matters. Some of you need to worry less about 
training up your kids. I mean, yeah, that's important and you're going to need to get back to that. But some of you need to put that on the side for right now. And some of you need to figure out this. Some of you need to figure out that whatever I do is going to be meaningless until I get this right. Until I love Jesus, this isn't going to matter. And not just love Jesus, but I mean love Jesus. I mean, like, not like, do you like me? Check this box. I mean, you are all out, sold madly in love with Jesus. We're going to sing, and we'll pray, and we'll close. As we sing, and we pray, and we close, I want you to be thinking about that simple question. Am I loving Jesus? And if you are, keep it up. But if you're not, then you've got work to do. Because nothing else is going to matter as much as them seeing you love Jesus. Listen to me. Our kids are worth it. And if you don't have kids at home, I want to thank you for sticking with us throughout this series. And I want to tell you that your work is not done. Sign up. Pray for some of our families. Trust me when I tell you, as one of those families that has kids, we need it. Okay? And if you aren't modeling Jesus in your life, then, okay, let's, let's just be blatant. Let's be clear. You're part of the problem. Because our kids are looking at that. They're, they're seeing that. People are seeing the church. They're seeing places where people say Jesus, but they don't do Jesus. And, and, and they're saying, you know what? There's really nothing there for me anyway. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word and your wisdom and the truth of Scripture. Uh, thank you for the privilege that it is to leave a legacy. That really, that's what this is all about. This is leaving a legacy. And there is no greater legacy, God, than, than to pass on a love for you and a submission and a following of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. And please help us to be bold um, in our work as a church with children and teens and families. Help us to be bold as parents that pour into the lives of kids and help us to be bold as mentors that are pouring into the lives of kids that aren't even ours as we try to teach them truth uh, in, in ways that register and that work. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.